craft a life motivated by love, by moving towards love and fulfillment, as opposed to moving away from things that you're afraid of. Um, because we are wildly too fearful. Like I would rather face fears, go move through fears in the pursuit of the spectacular then spend my life avoiding the crap. Welcome to Just Go With It, a podcast by 20-somethings for 20-somethings. Fun, flirty, and keeping it real. An absolute riot these days. If it isn't over the top, it ain't us. They came out of college on top. Then life hit them in the face. Be a bit more professional, please. Couldn't shut us up then. Won't shut us up now. Here are the tips and tricks you are going to need to get through your 20s. We are getting into it. Strap yourselves in for a wild ride. Live on air. I'm Abby. And I'm Ashley. Good lord it's already season two grab a drink take a seat and get ready to just go with it what's going on you guys welcome back to just go with it happy friday happy hour we are back with a very special guest you may know her from tiktok it is miss kelly lavalley and we are so excited to speak with her she is an author a cpa a mother and an excellent excellent advice giver i think i found her on tiktok maybe over a year ago i started getting some of your videos on my For You page, and I just was obsessed. I love, we've had a lot of big sister chats on this type of podcast, and so now this is almost like a mother type chat, but someone who has um, really run the gamut of life and truly understands relationships and just, just everything. So I'm really excited to pick her brain and speak with her today. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for having me. We've been together almost since the beginning on TikTok because I started posting just over a year ago. Right. No, I think I have been there since the beginning and I consistently get your videos, which is really awesome. And I, you, I feel like understand relationships so, so well. And I kind of want to just dive right into how you think that maybe you kind of have a knack for that. Or did you always know that you kind of understood the way people work? Uh, no, I totally didn't always understand the way people work, but I think that, I mean, the big things that taught me about relationships were my failed one <laughs> because I'm divorced and, um, and I work with people who are getting divorced. So, I mean, I suppose I've seen a, a lot of what doesn't work. And then my husband and I, um, kind of working through the challenges of a blended family you're not just in relationship with one another, but you're in this complex, expanded family that includes other adults and kids, and you all have the unique relationships with one another. So that was like, that's my PhD in relationships. Okay, I have to ask, have you seen the movie Blended? I probably have, but I'm 50. I don't remember anything. So like, <laughs> I'd have to see about half an hour of it to remember. I saw, I've seen this. <laughs> it's it's Adam Sandler. Yeah, Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore. It was kind of more of a recent one, like late. Eight years ago, maybe? Yeah, it was really good. And it's about blended families, like people with children that come together. And it's a comedy. And honestly, it's a stellar movie. Everyone should go watch it. Uh -huh. And it's very meaningful. Yeah, good <laughs> so, stuff. <laughs> so when you initially jumped on TikTok, were you doing it just for fun? And then did some random person say, oh my gosh, you got good stuff to say. And then it snowballed from there because now you're purely giving advice to everyone. wide range of people. <laughs> And people are eating it up. <laughs> yeah, including us. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I had written and published this book about divorce. And what I didn't know uh, when you write a book is what the people who 
put it together for you, do not sell it for you. All right. And so um, they expect you to market the book on your own, which got me thinking about this idea of having a platform. So in the publishing world, people ask, what's your platform? And I, I have like, I don't know, I have a hundred followers on Instagram. Like it's not, it wasn't vast. Right. Um, and so that kind of had me already open to the idea of, of kind of developing some sort of platform. And my oldest kid who's 27 was already on TikTok and, and obviously my little, my younger kids were on TikTok and I had no concept of what it was. Um, uh, but my oldest encouraged me to start posting. And I started talking about like the thing with, um, publishing anything like you're publishing here, like putting yourself out in the public space, it, it's a vulnerable feeling. And so I initially talked about what I thought I had sort of like the moral authority to talk about, which was fitness for, you know, old broads, right? Uh, because <laughs> old I, <broads. laughs> I, I've like, I'm fit, I've competed in bodybuilding. And I thought like, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, if, if someone said like, who are you to, to tell us I could say like, here's my CV and fitness for old broads. But uh, so that's how I started out. Um, but I mean, I love how interactive TikTok is and I'm not exactly sure how the breadth of topics expanded so vastly, but it, it was definitely organic and in part just interacting with people, which, which, was super fun. And what I really want to do with kind of my practice, my, my professional practice in divorce and the book and TikTok is, is to help people with things that I've learned. And I mean, I still feel that I still feel vulnerable about it because who am I? But what I try to own is like, yeah, who am I? But this is just what worked for me. Right. Mm -hmm. We all just have our own personal experience and that's what we can speak to. Amen. Yeah. So you've gone through your own divorce. You're very outspoken about it. You give people advice and you're also a CPA specifically for people going through divorce, kind of working through their finances. So you've seen a lot of broken relationships and ways that relationships haven't worked out. Um, so of course we're in our early twenties, Ashley's 23. I just turned 24. We are in those early years of figuring out what the heck to do with the relationships and dating and all those things. And I know you get a lot of people writing in, commenting in, asking, I'm 23 and I don't know what the hell to do with my relationship. So we're going to do the same thing with you and ask you lots of questions about that. So first thing, top of mind, what was your view on dating in your 20s? And now being 50, would you go back and tell yourself some specific advice from when you were going through it? Or what did that look like? Okay, so so I have almost no dating experience because I I started dating my high school sweetheart when I was 16. I mean, before that, it was like, I don't know, I dated a guy for like two or three weeks, right? But um, and I ended up marrying him. Like we were together for 14 years. So from from 16 to 30, I had one guy that I dated. <laughs> um, and then you know, so between my marriages, like a tiny bit of dating, but really I, I'm, I'm like a speed committer. That, that's mm. what it is. Like, oh, a I like monogamous. Totally. Yeah. Like one date, it's a good date. Let's get married. Um, <laughs> and it's happened twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you just celebrated 18 years with your now husband, correct? 
coming up on 18. Yeah. Yay. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we've, we, it is not smooth sailing. We were actually separated for a year, about five years ago. Oh, wow. And then then we reconciled. So Um, despite having pretty much no experience uh, with dating, of course, I give my opinion on, on everything Mm -hmm. uh, to, to everyone on TikTok and my kids. (laughs) As you should. Well, in your 20s, I'm sure you saw your friends go through dating experiences and mishaps and things. So what would you tell yourself or tell I'm you have kids? So what would you tell your 20 year old kid about dating and how they should view it? Well, I, I, I feel like I have more authority to say, like, what what's my opinion about choosing the person like your person? And, um, you know, I think that in general, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves with the idea of, of forever, right? And getting it right, not just in relationships, but in our career and the life path we choose. And I think like when I look back and at my own life and when I look at around at the people around me, I just think the, the relationship that you choose is very much based on where you're at, what challenges you're facing. Like, I do think that we tend to look to relationships to solve some of our own internal issues. And so it's not just about saying like, I'm this kind of complete, whole, healthy person. And I'm, I mean, we'd all like to be that. And by the time we're 100, (laughs) we will be. But like, you know, we're always this work works in progress, right? And so, you know, obviously, it's about choosing someone who, you know, you lines up with your core values and what you find attractive, but also knowing that um, in a way, like what you need when you're 20 and what I need when I'm 50 and what we both might need when we're 70 evolves as we evolve. And so um, like, I, I do think to evaluate a relationship in the present based on who you are and who they are in the present and um, not necessarily put the pressure of forever mm. on the relationship. And it's, it's not that I'm anti-marriage clearly, you know, I've done it twice, but, or anti-commitment. I'm, I think commitment is fabulous because no relationship is without bumps. And if you're not committed, you won't make it through those bumps. Right. But just to, to remain kind of like in flow when, when you're dating and choosing someone and when you're in a relationship to say like, I'm committed, but I'm not like, I'm not calcified in it. I'm not so rigid about it that this has to be forever. And I, and it must always work for both you and them. Um, I just, I think that that is, um, well, like for my like passion about life, which is continuing to evolve. And I want to be with someone who also has that passion. Like it's possible that that means we aren't going to be together forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I hear kind of two different mindsets when it comes to dating, especially in your twenties when we're still so young and not feeling the pressure yet, I guess that some people feel as they get older to settle down. Um, and that is one dating should be fun. It should be something you do for personal growth reasons, to get to know people, to get out of your comfort zone. It's a good social activity, um, good practice for the future and figuring out what the heck you want. And then some people 
A good other half of people I've heard are very strict about dating for marriage, which both are admirable, both are great viewpoints, but I just think it's interesting that they're so drastically different. So it's if I get in a relationship with someone, we're exclusive. And at any point in the relationship, if I don't see myself marrying this person, I'm out. And I have seen both and I've felt both and experienced both. So what's your perspective on that? I mean, I believe as long as both parties are on the same page um, and in alignment, that both can work. Like, I, obviously, you want to have integrity for yourself and for the other person. I mean, the way I am is if I don't feel alignment in a relationship or a career or a pursuit, like I'm out, not because I, that's my philosophy on life, but like I, I just can't stay in it. My spirit has left the room. Um, so I personally wouldn't be able to stay in it if I knew that this, like, I think if you're saying, I know this isn't forever, or I know I would never marry this person, then why is it for now? That That's what, mm-hmm. like, I, I just mm-hmm. feel like for me, I'm an all in or all out kind of gal. And so right. if I, but I do believe that there are people who can be like a, like partly in and and if both people are okay with that, then that can be fine. I would say too, like I absolutely agree that what you learn about yourself and what you want when you're in relationship and not just romantic, but friendships, like we learn a lot from, you know, having intimacy with mm-hmm. people and that can look lots of different ways mm-hmm. with For or sure. without sex, with, you know, with or without romance. Yeah. Okay, let's say that you know you want to get married and you are seriously dating someone, but you might be fairly certain that it's not them. How long should you continue dating them in terms of like personal growth and just learning more about what you want out of the future? Zero minutes. (laughs) I I mean, okay, like to me, if you know you want to be married. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. You know, if you, and you've come, you've learned a lot enough from that relationship to come to a decision point. For me, that would just not be where I would think I'd be maximizing my learning, continuing to stay in a relationship that I had already resolved was not my future. Hmm. But again, okay. it's the all, all all out kind of style. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. Sorry. When you do no, get this married, is good. when you do get married, no matter what, you're taking some sort of jump, right? Um, so how do you know that the person that you're taking the jump with is the right person for you? Do you just kind of know when you know and you don't when you don't? And that's why me and Abby aren't married yet. We're engaged. People always say that. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. You just know when you know. I mean, like if you're 100% certain that you're with the person you're going to be with until you die, then you, you, you're you just deluded. <laughs> I'm sorry. Delusional. <laughs> no, like it's a lovely delusion. Um, okay. This, <laughs> Ignorance is for so, Like, I, I just think like if you might be the kind of person that's more pragmatic, um, that just says, look, I feel totally in alignment that, that you're my person for right now. Um, I don't feel any reservations. I feel like I'm all in and I know like frick I'm 20 I plan to live to 120 and I'm plan to evolve for the rest of those 100 years like and I hope that you do too like we have to 
don't we have to entertain the idea that it might not be forever? But I, I don't think that that is a bad thing. Like, I, I think one of the um, challenges with marriage and divorce is that we think that if a, if a marriage doesn't last until someone dies, that it was a failure. And I don't think that at all. Like, mm -hmm. I think that we should change the narrative around that because if you both, if you had 25 amazing years, you raised fabulous kids, you grew and evolved, and then it ended, that to, I, it's just not a failure to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the viewpoint of marriage and commitment has changed a lot, obviously, between, say, our grandparents' generation and us, because they were seeing happy 80th anniversaries, you know, yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. And that was common because there was such a strict rule on marriage. And it's you've got to stay with the person no matter what, like that's the person you chose. But now I think it might almost go, I'm I'm worried, is my personal worry, that it's going so far in the opposite direction that nobody's really going to want to fully commit because we all just think we need to be in the relationships while we're happy and while everything's good. And then the second it's not, we got to value our peace and protect our peace yeah, and protect ourselves. Wants and then we'll just get out. And like to a certain degree, depending on the relationship, obviously there are times when that makes sense. But I feel like everyone in our generation is so non-committal. It's almost terrifying for other reasons too. Do you feel that way, Ashley? Completely. It's like everyone has like one foot inside of the church to get married and one foot out the door already. Not and same with career. Me. Like we're always looking for like where the grass is greener and what could be better. Well, it's because of social media, I think, because everyone, everyone seems like they're on this whole magical thing with the most perfect husband and career and all that nonsense. So that's why we're always looking for the next best thing. But And you're always yeah, good presented with options. It's like too here, many, here, too here, many here options. Are... It's like having cable and there's 5,000 channels. <laughs> Clearly, something else better might be on. Um, you know, I to me, I feel because I don't believe in forever, I am more committed to the relationship because, I mean, I I, I know how hard divorce is. Mm -hmm. Like I know, and after you have kids with someone, like they're in your life forever. And I know, I mean, I've been in two extremely long relationships. The, um, the beauty of having someone in your life for a long time that becomes the, the caretaker of part of your identity and your memories. Yeah. And I mean, the, like, I, I'm in it because being in a long-term relationship is absolutely enriching. And so to say like, we should be committed because commitment's good. I think that we need to say, well, why is commitment good? Like, mm -hmm. wh why do we aspire to hit the 70 or 80 year anniversary mark? Which, by the way, people didn't have options before. Women, you know, couldn't own real estate. Like, they, they couldn't right. be, yeah. right? So, so to say, well, isn't that beautiful? Like, I don't know, my grandma ragged on my grandpa until he just like yeah. ran to the grave to get away from her. I mean, but it looked, yeah, they hit 60 years. But um, so again, like, I think we romanticize what some of those long-term relationships look like among the older generation. Like, Frigga, that's not a relationship I would want. That's not what, so to me, to really understand why do we aspire to have these long-term committed relationships. And I know why, and it isn't just because of societal expectations or my parents or religion. 
it's intrinsic. Like I want it because of the in the richness in my spirit mm-hmm. that I get out of having this committed relationship. So I truly feel like my understanding of reality, which is marriages aren't forever. Like just mm-hmm. because you enter into one, you can leave them like half of them end, right? Um, makes me more committed to working through the shit, crappy times, right? It mm-hmm. almost takes the pressure off in some ways, knowing that it's, you know, no one's going to die if you do have to separate. So why not work harder at it? Yeah, on the one hand, it takes the pressure off because if it's terrible, you can leave. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you say this might not be forever, it puts pressure on to work at it. Um, because, you know, I've seen friends who've stayed married, you know, and I look at that and say, like, you guys aren't working that hard for each other. Because maybe yeah. because you're under the false idea that you don't need to because this is forever. Huh. I'm like mulling all of this over. A lot to unpack. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of switching gears, but still in the vein of marriage, what is some of your advice is, let's say you're entering your late twenties, you're in your early thirties, your closest friends, um, siblings, cousins and stuff, everyone's coupling off, everyone's getting married and you feel like, you know, the clock's a ticking and I haven't found someone that Mm -hmm. I feel like I can commit to. What's your advice in that kind of life scenario? Well, I think, um, the, the only thing we can control is our experience and then and then being in acceptance about, you know, what the reality is, right? But I, I would say if you've been out in the world dating and you're not finding anybody, it, it might be worth an ex- internal exploration of like your expectations and your own um kind of triggers and and your own kind of like learned history of what does a relationship look like by looking at the relationships of you know the people who brought you up um because like all those candidates out there they're just humans they're a mixed bag of good and bad just like you and so that there is no perfect person there is no perfect relationship and I, I have seen like the people in my life who kind of coupled later, um, you know, part of it is there's a bit of luck involved. So you could, you could have totally reasonable expectations and be, you know, fabulously ready to commit and be out there meeting people and it just, it doesn't happen. And that's mm-hmm. some bad luck. Ultimately, I think it will. Right. Um, but you know, the people that, that I've witnessed, definitely needed to like and i'm not saying like to lower your standards whatsoever but to be realistic that everyone here are humans and um despite like evidence like you're saying portrayed in in social media and all media that relationships can be this idyllic experience like they're not they're just a couple Mm -hmm. of humans doing Mm -hmm. their best (laughs) so you're of the mindset I'm guessing, obviously, that we could be compatible with a great number of many different people. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I think there are some people out there that still think there's like one person for me, you know, that one soulmate, and that's yeah. a beautiful idea and whatever. I'm not knocking anyone who believes that. But 
you would say, yes, there are so many people you could be compatible with and those relationships all could be great in different ways, but you just have to figure out what's the greatest of great really, or what's really going to make the most sense. Because I think um, a lot of times me, myself and my friends, like you'll be in a relationship and you're trying to figure out if this is the right one and it's going great, but you're always kind of wondering like, is this a 10 or am I like settling for a nine? Nine is great. Nine is happy. But like, is there a 10 or is that toxic? Like, am I just being grass is always greener kind of person? That's also like, there's two ways to view that, you know? And also following up with that, the idea that let's say you're dating someone and they're, you know, like you said, a nine and the worry that I kind of feel in my heart, I could find someone more perfect for me. But what if this is as good as I was going to find? (laughs) Yeah. Are we being toxic? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are we the problem? (laughs) A tiny bit. I mean, I love you, so I'm on your side. But um, like, I I think um, if you are assessing, like that's what you're doing. You're you're in, you're going into a relationship and you're assessing this person. Like, and so imagine them doing that to you. Like, are you saying they, that's they, bad? Because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Well, <laughs> aren't we always kind of quietly assessing, like a little bit? We were supposed to not want to fit into what they're looking for. I thought we were supposed to go on to a date saying, what am I looking for? For sure. But let, let's just say, like, <laughs> we're, we're going to give what we want to get. Okay. And it's easier to assess what we're doing when we think of ourselves being the recipient of the behavior as well, right? Like, let's let's think of friendships with women or or whatever gender you're not attracted to, okay? And say, what is, what's my state of being when I enter into a friendship, like for me, I'm, I'm enjoying them. I'm getting to know them. I'm focusing on their strengths. I'm seeing how I feel, like how resonant is this in my spirit? Um, but I'm not really like, I don't know, ranking them. Um, so I think like the thing with not just relationships, but career, everything in life, there are, there's a million paths you could take. Like, mm-hmm. so th- there's always the possibility that you're walking a path and right parallel to it, just one minute away is a, is a better path. I- I'm not sure how we assess that in part, because I will say that the challenges in my life, that's when I've evolved the most. So, I mean, like, how do you decide what's better? What's best? What's a 10 versus a nine? Because you know, I think it's more of a, does this feel resonant? Not what are the odds that there's something better, but, but, but like really being in this, like, let's say there wasn't the possibility of something better. How mm-hmm. does this feel? Would I rather be in, I'm not saying it being in this or being alone, but just like a, a little bit more of an independent assessment of the relationship, as opposed to thinking about it in relative terms. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah, nice. not necessarily ranking. Ranking does sound really toxic, but no, more I like what I meant was like, I, let's say I'm checking. well, I'm dating this man, and it's just like this is so good, but I just feel like it could be a little bit better in certain ways. You know, do you make the choice to this is really really good, but I think it could be a little bit better. Or is that or how you like, end up alone? Oh, you just described like every relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really good, but of course it could be better. Like I, I have a running list for my husband. I don't know if he reads it, but I'm like, it could be better <laughs> if you did these 10 things. Like, 
he's given <laughs> up on giving better. me pillows. <laughs> um, yeah, like it, you could always, always say it could be a bit better. Okay. That's very true about anything in life. What if yeah. I can't find a man that makes me laugh as hard as some of my friends do? <laughs> yeah. Now so we're getting here, personal. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah bring it. <laughs> There are things that I get from my friends that my husband c- can't give me. And you know I what? think that's a good, answer. you know, like one well, of, <laughs> one of the, uh, I think, um, and I, it really came home for me when I was separated for a year mm-hmm. is holy crap. Do we put a lot of pressure on our marriage to give us like everything, right? Our oh my gosh. social life. And like, I learned this in psychology class and it blew my mind because in high school, you have a very rudimentary idea of relationships and you think that that's like your person. And so you have to get all of your social plans from them and all of your happiness has to be derived from them and that relationship and holy hell, the emotions, the ups, the yeah. downs, the hormones. And then you take a step back and you grow a little and you get a little more mature and can see it from a different perspective. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. not good. That's, that's too much pressure. He doesn't have to make me laugh as hard as Abby does. It's a, like that's fine. No one ever will, and that's there fine. She <laughs> prefers it that, that way. Like I, I think there are certain things that it's a challenge to get outside of the relationship. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's a challenge to get the sexual aspect of the relationship out outside of your core relationship. I, I mean, I know there are people who who try it. I think it's it's challenging but possible but i think it's a pretty small percentage of people who would do that successfully right mm-hmm. so there are these certain core things mutual respect alignment of sort of your vision for life because that's a hard thing to do separately right if you want to be in a right. marriage um but outside of these this very short list of things that you couldn't needs you couldn't meet elsewhere you'll just cobble in those spot the gaps with the other things in your life But so you work with people going through divorce a lot. And a good thing that people say all the time is opposites attract. But my question for you is how much do opposites really attract in your opinion from what you've seen? I think that that opposites can attract and that can be a problem. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, like if, if you're going into a relationship and we all do this to some extent, but very much to fill in you're missing pieces, right? Like I, I don't have this or I don't have these characteristics or I didn't have this in my life and I have these holes and I would like this relationship to fill those holes. Like I've found my counterparty, my opposite. I mean, look, they're holes, so it feels good to have them filled, right? Mm-hmm. But, but um, and I think too, it can be sexy in that like sameness doesn't create like spiciness like if you meet someone who's exactly the same as you like it's got a sibling vibe kind of boring. familial intimacy yeah. and that's like lovely but it isn't the sexy type of connection yeah. right so I think when it comes to sexual chemistry some opposing qualities are necessary. I'm, I'm not talking about like the way our parts fit together. I'm just talking about like our <laughs> nature, right? Right. Um, so, so that, so sexuality being part of it, but also if you're in a relationship and, and like, I'm speaking from personal experience, okay. Trying to solve the things that are, I'm not, I don't like to say wrong with you, but the things you're working on mm-hmm. by this other person, 
like what then happens when you evolve and address those things in your life and and the value that that person brought because they were filling in these holes that you have now evolved out of like i i think that those relationships might have a bit of a, a timeline mm. What if we're talking more like innate qualities, like one person is very outgoing and one person is definitely more shy? Is there like a healthy level of balance for that? Or is that eventually going to be a flame that's just not going to work at some point because they don't understand each other on a very basic level? (laughs) So I'm an extrovert and my husband's an introvert. And, um, you know, when we would it, earlier in our marriage, we'd be working through problems and he'd be like getting worn out. Right. And I would say to him, like relating to me shouldn't cost you anything. It should fill you up like this. Uh, this is like a personal affront to me. <laughs> and then, you know, I grew up. OK, I learned like, OK, now he's just introverted. It isn't like that he doesn't actually love me. But so I think that where it can be a challenge is when the life that you want to lead looks very different. And mm-hmm. and I, I look, to me, I, my husband and I talk about our Venn diagram, like how much overlap and how do we want in our lives and how juicy do we want that overlap to be? Both of us want juicy stuff outside of our relationship and right. we want juicy overlap. And so I think it's juicy. Just like, I've never heard it described that way before. <laughs> we want juicy overlap. What do you guys want in your relationship? <laughs> He's like, get the check. Um, <laughs> so I, I think like it's just saying if we're so opposite that 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 overlap is tiny because, you know, the introverted person wants to stay home like 24 seven and the extroverts always gone and like then they're never together. So there's no relationship. Um, but I think as long as you sort out a lifestyle that works for the two of you and you have sufficient overlap that it can be great. Right. It's interesting. Cause there's so many sayings out there, birds of a feather flock together. And then they're also like opposites attract. And you're like, wait one second, <laughs> <laughs> those don't add up. Something's not right here. <laughs> And again, I think it's an example of one of the many paths that can work and knowing mm-hmm. what are the risk factors in your particular relationship. Every relationship has them. And like, I think of it, you know, as someone who works in divorce all day long, like be one, know that relationships can end. Be vigilant about like protecting yours, mitigating the risks, understand what are the risks in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um because every relationship has those risks. And so, I mean, I think birds of feather flock together and opposites attract, that's true. And either path that you choose can be great. And let's say if you're like a bird of a feather, then you better look at ways to maintain the spicy sexuality in your relationship because that might be a bit like at a risk. And, Sounding like roommates. Right? <laughs> yeah, and if you're opposites, friends. then you better make sure that you're really intentional about the lifestyle you create together that still feels juicy in the overlap. Uh, but I don't think either or it's not that either one is better. It's mm-hmm. just they're different and you're going to have different challenges potentially. Okay. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, and take it to how do you know if I know that we don't have to have all the answers right now, but how do you know when or if 
to have children because we're women. That's kind of all we talk about with our Big best question. When we're having like deep conversations. How do we know if we want to marry? How do we know if we absolutely want kids, you know, for the right reasons and stuff? So how did you come to those conclusions? <laughs> sure. Well, funny, funny story, right? So I, I would say like from the time, you know, I was like, 12 to 16, I was like, I'm not having kids, you know, I, I'm going to be rich and I want dogs. And my mom was just like, Oh Lord, help me. But, yeah. um, so you know, and what Ashley and I are like now, <laughs> <laughs> now 10 years past what you just described. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I, um, didn't think too much about it, you know, in my late teens, early twenties. And, before my first husband and I got married, we um, we were getting married in a church. And so we had to meet with the pastor. Like mm-hmm. that was the rule. You had to sit down with him once before he would marry you. And so he's asking us this quest- these questions and he asked my soon-to-be husband, invitations are out, church is booked. What about kids? And my guy says, oh, I don't want kids. I was like, what? Like we've oh, been no. dating for eight years. You guys this should have come up. up. <laughs> <laughs> this was like the writing was on the wall already, but <laughs> uh, so, so I, I had this like moment of, wow. Okay. I, not that I'd ever really been the type to be super excited about it, but I had just some, sort of assumed it, it would be in my future. And, um, and so I came to terms with not having them at that point, but I think like thinking of not having them when there's a lot of time to, change your mind like I mean my clock was going to be ticking for a, a lot longer right people are um, out here freezing their eggs these days it's right very popular I had my last at 37 like I I mean I think that we can have kids later and later but I, I mean so f- my personal perspective on it is just like we're talking about all these many paths you, you can have a fabulous fulfilling life on on like almost an infinite number of paths. And so, um, you know, this idea of being worried about being fulfilled in the future, like making decisions that, that are going to prevent your future fulfillment. I, I just don't think that that's possible because let's say from the time you're able to have kids from that period of time in your life, let's say up to 40, you really have conviction that you don't want them. And if you're fearful that, after there's no option and you can't have them, um, that you might change your mind and want them. I mean, one, I think when ships have sailed, like a healthy spirits move on and don't torment themselves with, with doors that have closed. But to say that you would be permanently barred from fulfillment when there's still a million things that you can do. So that one avenue kids no kids that's not an option now there's still a million opportunities think of the charities that you could create think of like there's just like so much you can still do to create a fulfilling life so i i'm hesitant when people are you know making choices at forks in the road Mm -hmm. not based on what's resonant right now for them but based on a fear that they're not going to be fulfilled down the road when I just think there's so many ways to be fulfilled. Right. I know. I think people put a lot of pressure, not only on the marriage, but on the kids thing, because of course it's a huge decision. And unlike a marriage, kids are in your life forever. So big choice. It sounds so daunting to me, but I want to be a parent, but 
the kids part seems really daunting. Like it just seems great to have them be, you know, teenagers. Ashley already. wants her kids to come out and be like college age and she wants to hang out with them and like yeah. grab a beer and talk about life. Well, I think <laughs> a nine-year-old would be fun too. It's just like yeah, seems yeah. so you know, daunting to yeah. have them yeah, yeah. You know, the whole way through. <laughs> Do you feel like if you're with the right person, it sounds exciting? Like somehow, some way you're like, yes, let's make a child and like raise it up. Because I that is so far away from anything I could ever imagine doing right now. It's insane. Like, this is not an expression of your romantic connection with someone. This is a human being. So when I um, got married to my second husband, I, you know, he had kids with his first wife. And, and before, you know, like early days, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you have this amazing bond, you know, with this woman. How could I ever come close to you know, even equaling that connection, right? And, and then we had kids. And what I realized is like, <laughs> the, our kids are not this lovely expression of our union. They're independent creatures who I'm ma madly in love with. But they're, I, I don't look at them and say, oh, look at this beautiful creature that we created. I, I, I don't take Do you look at them when they're like babies like that, though? Or no, never? The sec Well, I, I mean, everyone's experience is different, right? Yeah. But the moment that my kids were born, I saw them as the separate human beings that they were. Like, I, I, and, I mean, you're <laughs> not feeling all that romantic. You're feeling freaking exhausted. And so it's not like, oh. Oh my gosh, our love personified, you know, I mean, I don't, yeah. I, that's, a, <laughs> uh, but I will say that raising kids with someone, whoever, it doesn't matter whose kids they are, you know, like I would say for my husband and I raising his kids, my stepkids, raising our kids, this is a, a, a like complicated, interesting, challenging, fabulous, terrible thing that we did together. So it's like a bonding thing to parent kids, not mm -hmm. really to create them, but to parent them is, um, yeah. But I, again, I think that you can, you can, if you craft a rich life with your partner, you can have those things that you're collaborating on that aren't kids that create that bond as well. I, I was fairly certain I wanted kids, but you're presenting both options as equally. <laughs> As equally fun. Now I'm more confused I, than ever. I will say, I just, I'll try, my attempt is to make you even more confused. But mm -hmm. I, um, like, I think we also put a lot of pressure on ourselves as moms. And, and for me, viewing my kids as completely separate from me, which is the truth, right? Like, it just, um, it, it created a lightness about motherhood for me. Like obviously when they're little, they're 100% dependent on you. And mm -hmm. that, that kind of the work part of it, just like you have to keep this human alive and they, they need you like every moment to stay alive. Um, there's like a, a tiring, tiring element to that just physically, like it's a little draining. Right. But you're also in mad love. Um, sometimes usually um and so but that is it's quite a short period of time that there's there's that level of like workload element to parenthood mm -hmm. uh, but after that i mean they are like they're fun they're, they're just these like fabulous little people that you're in relationship with like from from yeah as, there's as early, autonomy there right yeah like they're this is a a team effort between yeah. do you feel like 
with the parent to child relationship is as close to humans as close as humans can get to unconditional love because really I don't think humans are conditioned to to be able to actually truly give unconditional oh, love. Yeah, I don't think That's so. something we receive from, you know, God or whatever you you celebrate or whatever religion you're part of, but I think obviously you hear parents being like, I have unconditional love for my child and maybe not so for your spouse, even if you try so, so hard, it's different, right? So would, would you agree with that? Do you feel like unconditional yeah, love as close as absolutely. you can get? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like dogs, cool. dogs and then kids. Yeah, dogs first. <laughs> like, if you, like if you have, I, I mean, I'm a dog lover, but that experience you have with a dog, which is this, it's a pure thing. Mm-hmm. except when my dog barks incessantly that it's like a little bit conditional but that that kind of pure love mm-hmm. um is dogs have it for us right yeah and and you do you do have it for your i i think i mean i should only talk about my experience right but right. but i feel like um it is a bit like a, a sanctified relationship like how amazing to just Mm-hmm. like always feel love for someone. And so that's sort of like that feeling that you have of giving that, that is yeah. a real gift for yourself, right? See, Aww, this is the epiphany nice. I had yesterday, literally yesterday, because I go back and forth every day. No, every day I go back and forth between like, I could really live a fulfilled life without children. And I have absolutely no maternal instincts at this point in my life. And I just <laughs> don't know if it's for me. And then sometimes I'm like, oh my God, but like, the feeling of unconditional love, when else am I going to have that unless I have children? And that does seem like such a gift to be able to give that feeling and to feel it and to give that unconditional love. And I mean, you can try, of course, with your spouse, like that's the goal. But I think that it's just something different with a child that you yeah. bring into the world. So I, I, think I that's don't a big ha- draw. I, uh, totally. And and the first thing you said is true, too. You You could have if you choose not to, you'll have a fabulously fulfilled life as well. It's, or at least I'll die trying. <laughs> right? It's all we can do. Sometimes yeah. I picture myself having children. I feel like I'm picturing like a character in a movie. Like it's not me who's having them. It's some character who's like an ideal version of me. And even I feel that way about marriage oh. too. Like standing up at the front, like at the altar. I feel like it's happening to a character. Like a movie role. Like, like a movie role. It doesn't feel like me. And I'm sure I will feel like me in the moment. I feel. I, I don't know that I will. <laughs> I probably just need to mature. But can you relate to that? And is it, do I just need to mature? Is that what it is? <laughs> so I, I think that I in part, like speaking about the motherhood thing, right. Is that like, I always felt a hundred percent like me. And I don't think that the, I think that that's uncommon. Like mm. I, you know, when my first was born, like I didn't have any baby experience. I had literally babysat once. They never asked me back. Like I'd never been around kids Dang. and I'm changing her diaper. I'm like, I don't know what I am doing. And I said to her, I'm so sorry that you got me, sweetie, but <laughs> now we're going to figure it out. But I, <laughs> so I just cute. always felt like, I don't, I, I don't really have that should voice in my head when it comes to motherhood. Mm-hmm. If you, and I it's know you will, <laughs> if you love the crap out of your kid, everything else is gravy. And so just be you. Like, I feel like if you are not authentic in parenthood or anything, it diminishes the output (laughs) because you're like twisting yourself into knots and trying to be something you're not. And you get like 
diluted or polluted in that process. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel like what, whoever you are, bring that to parenthood and then you're going to like it way more. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. Now I'm excited. I've gone through all these ranges of emotions. Okay. Speaking of the parent-child relationship, as we, you know, mid-20s, late-20s, or early-30s and all that good stuff, how um, do we kind of navigate how our relationship changes with our own parents getting older and aging, especially as, you know, deeper into 30s, 40s, 50s and stuff? How do you navigate, yeah, noticing your parents getting older and having like an adult relationship with them too? Yeah. I mean, like, I think in your twenties, there's a boundary recalibration there, right? Like there's a big kind of line in the sand where you're leaving the parent child dynamic and you're entering something equal. And that requires like both parties to change, (laughs) right? Like both parties to embrace that this looks different. Now, this is just like, this is me. You don't have to do that. Like, I I know that some people just continue to have a parent-child dynamic until there's a switch and then the child assumes the parent role, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. I I know that that for some people that can work well to to just continue to have primarily the parents in that more authoritarian caregiver, advisor the boss, well, that's not really how you look at parenthood, but that idea, and then just have it switch. I, I have really loved, and I, I have it with my adult kids, and I'm, I'm already starting the transition with my younger kids, this big chunk of time with, with my parents and then with my kids on the flip side of an adult relationship mm-hmm. that that isn't based on one person being a caretaker and the other being a receiver of care, but a mutually loving, supportive relationship of equals that's more authentic. Like I Mm. I do think when you're in the caregiver, caretaker dynamic, like obviously there's some, I don't know, like there's a bit of a distance in that, right? Um, And so I have loved both being on the kid side of this and on the parent side of it, this um, relaxed and in a way like more intimate relationship of equals. Yeah. And, and like, I think to, to transition, I mean, my, I'm a super independent person. So when I transitioned like into adulthood, I mean, it didn't, wouldn't have even crossed my mind to ask my parents for help. And I don't think it would have crossed their mind to give it to me. Um, and so it was easy. That was easy. But mm-hmm. for some people, if, if the dynamic has been like more dependent, then you just have to think of, I think about like, do I want to be more, a bit intentional about stepping out of that and into something that looks more like a relationship of equals? Yes. That's very interesting and it makes sense and that's how it should go, I guess, in your 20s. It's kind of more, but as you're speaking, it makes me realize I do not in any way feel like an equal to my parents. And I think my parents also made it very clear that we're not your friend, we're your parents, especially my dad. I think he's literally said those words to me, even though I love my dad with all my heart and soul and I like tell him he's my best friend, but he just like won't hear it. He's like, no, I'm your dad. (laughs) He's just like too traditional for that. 
But it's interesting because I'm excited to see how that relationship will evolve personally in my 20s because um, I just moved out. We're a little delayed with the whole COVID situation um, and we graduated 2020. So things were weird when we graduated from college and then now most of us are just kind of starting in the past year, year and a half to live on our own. And I moved across the country and although I do feel quite independent, I still feel like that child parent dynamic is very much there. Um, so that's interesting. I'm excited to kind of see that evolve as I grow. Also, I think like I, I sort of misspeak around it because I think that my kids are my equals. And I've thought that from the time that they were born, like you're my equal. I'm the parent. I'm in charge. I, my job is to keep you safe. It's to create like boundaries for you and then loosen those as you have the you know maturity to handle them safely but i'm always your equal i'm not a buddy to my younger kids Mm -hmm. um and i I don't think like i wouldn't say even that the adult um child parent relationship is is exactly just like a friendship but um like what i want to bring for my kids, which I have done, and now as my parents are aging, is always respect and and truly viewing them as my equal. I'm not better than they're not. They're not better. Do than. you feel like within the family, respect should be earned or freely given? I, I think it should be totally given. Like you need to respect one another. I, I think yeah. like you need to act respectfully like i i give respect i expect respect Mm -hmm. but i don't like the idea like well i'll respect you after you show me respect like i i i look at myself you have to set the tone (laughs) yeah like i i i'm responsible for setting the tone and my kids have always behaved respectfully toward me but i have always given them respect Okay. Continuing along the family lines, we have some notes with some questions to help guide because this conversation can go five million different ways and it has. Um, But some people aren't as lucky as others and don't really have a strong family unit. They don't have necessarily the ideal relationships with their parents that they might have wished that they had. And that's the case for a lot of people, honestly. Um, So what is your perspective on finding family or some tips on finding family, your chosen family, as you grow and you navigate life? Big question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah loaded. I'm doing heavy hitters today. Yeah. <laughs> this, I mean, like, if anyone out there is feeling like less than because they don't have a perfect family, like, I assure you that that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my own parents divorced when I was born, basically. And, um, there's lots of heartache within my family of origin and my husband's family of origin. Like there's just, there's, uh, it's a mixed bag as with everything of things that are fabulous and things that are heartbreaking and things that you want to model your life after and things that you never want to be part of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I think, so on the one hand, moving into adulthood is an opportunity to recalibrate boundaries. Those people that had to be in your life because you had no choice because you were a kid. I'm not saying like punt out all the, you know, rotten eggs or bad apples. I'm just saying you can begin the process of constructing thicker boundaries with those people so that they're 
toxicity. It's not that they aren't going to have it, but it's going to impact your, you and your life less mm -hmm. and your other relationships. Like as you, you're starting to now put your own family and, and extended family and friends, your kind of future relationships together. There's also, I think, a responsibility to, to begin thickening those boundaries to protect all those people in your life. And um, on so, the, the point of boundary creation, I think a lot of people have trouble with that. Is it mostly verbal? Because people are so afraid of confrontation these days, a lot of us, and not necessarily me, but just in general. And so would you say boundary creation needs to be a verbal thing to really get your point across? Because those are always weird waters to, to go through. Uh, no, like I, I absolutely don't think that you have to inform the person. I have decided you're toxic and I am constructing thicker boundaries. So that's not necessary <laughs> for the process. Thank goodness, I'm sure. But so I look at boundaries as, you know, because I, I work with people who are getting divorced. So th that when you get divorced, it's like this instantaneous, I have no boundaries with this person. And now I need really thick boundaries with this person because I went from, you know, being married to them to navigating divorcing them, right? So it's this holy crap, that's a really, it's speed recalibration. But so in, initially, when you're in the process of making initial changes to boundaries, I think it's really practical. It's like, don't live with them. You know, talk to them a little less, spend a little less time with them. All those things are external to you while you take the time to recalibrate your mental and kind of spiritual or emotional boundaries. But the first and very easy step is to create Just those physical boundaries, yourself. right? Yeah, like don't text me every day. Don't, you know, and maybe then it starts to, if you're, we're talking about how you talk to them, it's like maybe don't share the intimate details of your life because they aren't, you know, it's pearls before swine. Like they, they don't deserve that vulnerability from you. And when you're sharing these intimate details of your life with them, even if like it's in a good moment, but they're not reliable, over time, then that that's a thinning of your boundaries. Like when we share vulnerabilities and, you know, share the intimate details of our life, well, that, that creates intimacy. It shrinks boundaries. Right. So yeah, I think it is practical, but I don't think it needs to be like a conversation with the person to say you're a bad risk. In the vein of creating boundaries, how do you know when you Maybe like a friendship isn't serving you time and time again, because I'm the biggest fan of long term friendships. But sometimes you do need to cut back from certain people because, you know, it gets exhausting or it's just not working anymore or you're just grew up too much. Yeah, it's 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 a loss. Like uh, this is what I'm talking about, about the inherent value of commitment, because we all feel it like when you're contemplating ending a long-term relationship, you like you can feel the physical weight of how sad that is, right? That's the inherent value of, of commitment. Uh, but like, I, I think in the same thing we're talking about, it's, it doesn't have to be this like line in the yeah. sand, right? But to listen to what's feeling resonant and respond to it within yourself without making these like definitive permanent changes so radically like uh, it's something that I continue to learn I got to tell you because mm -hmm. like of this whole all in or all out kind of thing um I would say like life is better if you just like ease in and continue to check in with yourself and especially with friendships 
um, just be really careful, especially like a long-term friendship is this valuable thing. So treat its maybe like end or possible end very carefully. Um, mm -hmm. And I think like, not that you want to be inauthentic, like be authentic, but being authentic doesn't necessarily mean saying every thought like, gee, I wonder if you're good for me and I might not want to be in a relationship with you. That's not authenticity. You know, that's just like having no boundaries. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you cultivate good friends in your opinion? Time and vulnerability, I think. Like, so, well, one, I've gotten like really good at finding my people. Not that I have a long list, but I love my list. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, one is just like continuing to be open to new relationships. Like I'm still making friends and yeah. I'm old. Um, and then what I kind of committed to myself to do was to embrace vulnerability. So like literally I think that you're amazing for these reasons and I'd like to be your friend. Yeah. Um, and then within the relationship, um, to me, you develop intimacy by allowing boundaries to become thinner, which requires you to share of yourself. Mm -hmm. We just you know, got to say what we're thinking. Right? That's just my jam. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I like that. My last question is, what advice would you give to a woman who is 24 and she's never had a relationship and she's not necessarily been avoiding dating? Um, but just it hasn't worked out for her until this point. And so maybe she's feeling a little like confused or like maybe worried if something's wrong with her or whatever it might be. But she's she's 24. She wants to be in a relationship. She's never been in one yet. And she's wondering, is this normal? What's going on? I mean, so first I would say, sweetie, you're totally normal. And um, that you know, it's funny, like I was just talking about this, I think yesterday on TikTok, but when you have some idea of a timeline in your mind and you feel like you're a little bit past that, like, gee, I wish I'd gone on a date or had a relationship when I was 20 and now I'm 24. This, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and it becomes this internal challenge. Now it's this big freaking deal. Like, oh my gosh, my first date, my first, you know, time I whatever have sex with someone. It's, there's so much weight to it. Um, and so I think to just, uh, uh, not, not to judge yourself for the feeling of like, now it's feeling totally bloody scary. Like, yeah, we've all been there. We've all, you know, gotten ourselves in a situation where we've, there's this problem that grew and grew and grew and now we're, we're terrified and that's totally freaking normal. So don't judge yourself about the fact that it hasn't happened or the fact that it feels big and scary now, like that's just the human condition. Hmm. Um, and to start small, like whenever we get, like, I think understanding this idea that a, a problem or an issue or your own timeline that you fabricated in your head can create a barrier in and of itself. So now it's a barrier that we made, we created mm -hmm. it out of thin air. It's nothing external. Mm-hmm. But all of our cages are mental, Taylor Swift. <laughs> but it happens like all the time. And, and like it, it'll happen for the rest of your life. And so 
the, the quicker you can get a strategy like, okay, here I am, I've created this mental challenge for myself. It's like inertia. I'm now like, it's getting harder and harder to move. Just start tiny, start small, do one thing, you know, go on a dating app. Like just, I promise you, if you just start really small, this problem that's loomed so large now, it's going to start to shrink. Mm-hmm. Just chip away at it. And it'll be a little bit less terrifying. It'll shrink. Yeah. It's like this monster that you've been feeding. It's, but it's a, it's a monster of your own making really. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to think, oh, there's something, it's something external to me. Like, well, I see other people dating. Oh, like, why am I, uh, there's something wrong with me or, um, but really I think it's not external. It's internal when we've created this big monster that we view as separate from ourselves. The Mm -hmm. nice thing about that is that we can stop feeding it like we could choose to stop feeding it Hmm. i have uh, so many thoughts about so many things we've said okay if you could go back and uh kind of close out a little bit if you could go back and tell your 24 year old self anything i feel like you get this question all the time but i want to hear it again anything (laughs) anything about anything what would you tell her it's hard to remember what i knew at 24 so I'm so old now, but um, well, guessing let, let by what think. we know, it probably was not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't I, have a lot going. On. <laughs> also, do you look back on your 24 year old self with like nostalgia, or like, oh, she was so clueless, or it's just a different version of me? How do you look at her? Um, I think I uh, look at her like I, she doesn't feel different from me. Hmm. You know, like I, I still feel like her. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she was a little bit in the dark mm-hmm. in some fundamental ways now that have become more clear to me as an oldie. And I'm so grateful, but I still feel like her. Like, I just feel like the clouds have parted a little bit for me in terms of um, my internal world, like the way I see the world and the way my mind works. And, um, and I'm so grateful to that, but that capacity, like, the true essence of my soul is it's exactly the same. Mm. I think That's that funny. I just see, see life a little more clearly maybe now. Mm. Better perspective, um, better vantage point. Yeah. Like a more clearer perspective, maybe like it was just, it was just maybe a bit more clouded back then. I think what I would say is um, to examine your relationship. With, I'm not going to be very succinct, right. But <laughs> is to, to examine your relationship with fear. And to like craft a life motivated by love, by moving towards love and fulfillment, as opposed to moving away from things that you're afraid of. Um, Because we are wildly too fearful. (laughs) Abby's pulling your pen out. Not me (laughs) writing that down word for word. That was insightful as hell. Good thing it's recorded, Abby. You can listen to it again and again. (laughs) Thank goodness. Every morning. (laughs) Examine our relationship with fear and run towards crafting a life that is full of love and fulfillment and away from the things that you just feel fearful of. Well, and not avoiding things. Not at all. Like, don't craft a life that's around avoiding things you're afraid of, like Mm. craft a life that's about moving towards what you love, what's fulfilling. Mm. Like, I just feel like fear is so magnified in terms of 
the way we craft our life and make decisions and well, it's hard too in your 20s because a lot of people fear comes from the unknown and there's so much that's unknown in your like 20s. We're toddlers still. again. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're just thrown out into the world. You have some idea of where like maybe the next year your life might look, but other than that, it's like who the hell knows? I don't know where I'm going to be living. I don't know who I'm going to be married to. Kids, no kids, where are my friends going to be at? Everything's going to look so different and you just you just don't know. I guarantee kind of you if you don't get intentional about changing your relationship with fear, you'll find other things to be afraid of when you're 30 and 40 and 50. Mm. And, and so you can craft a life that's about avoiding your fears. And then, yeah, or you can craft a, a rich, fulfilling life that's loving, that you, like you're, you're moving towards something. Like, because I feel like if you're, if you're avoiding things that you're afraid of, then, I mean, I guess that tells you where you don't want to be and you keep moving forward because you're trying to walk away from that. But where are you going? But you're not going into an intentional place. You're avoiding a place. Like I would rather face fears, go move through fears in the pursuit of the spectacular than spend my life avoiding the crap. That's a sound bite if I've ever heard one. <laughs> I think that you should have your own podcast and each episode is an in-depth answer to a question someone asked you on TikTok. <laughs> you, go, you could go on for 20 minutes about one question yeah. each and then look, I do talk you got a 50 lot. episodes. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I think my husband's happy so I'm, I'm uh, on TikTok and I'm talking more because they're like, thank God, like maybe you'll talk to me a little less. <laughs> and you don't have to tell him. You can just tell the world. You can yeah, tell exactly. less. Yeah, and we're um, eating it up, like I said. Eating it up. Um, okay, yes. this is probably the most important question we're gonna ask you. Do you? You look so good. Your skin. Do you wear sunscreen every day? Does your face touch the sun? What's the deal? Are you Botox? You have yeah, you're really transparent about what you've had done, and I appreciate oh, yeah. that so all much. the things. So, like, all what the do things. We need to do? <laughs> you need to be doing right now. <laughs> well, so the good news is, like. I did nothing for decades. That makes me feel like so much I, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like I was born in 71. Like we just slathered ourselves with baby oil and laid outside. <laughs> and roasted and, in the right? sun. Right? Yes. And so I didn't follow it. Right? <laughs> I mean, I didn't follow a skincare regime until I was in my late 40s. Oh my gosh, really? Um, but, okay, so, but I did grow up in a rainforest, so there wasn't that much sun around. Um, oh and now. Speaking of rainforest, where, where did you grow up? I live in Vancouver, BC. Okay, and you grew up there too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's always raining. It's okay. like Seattle, right? Um, I did That's spend 10 I years <laughs> elsewhere. Oh, neat. Um, so, uh, but, so that's the good news is that if you do nothing now, it doesn't matter. Like I started Botox my mid thirties. Okay. Right. Cause everyone is so trying up to until like mid thirties preventative Botox. And I don't, everyone's like, you're 24, you're late, late to yeah. the Botox game. Why don't you have 30 units in your forehead? And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, like, I do think probably like the earlier you start wearing sunscreen and start taking care of your skin and having good nutrition and yada, yada, like obviously the better, yeah. but, um, you know, now if you have damaged skin, like if you didn't do any of that stuff, like me, there are things you can do. Like there are lasers, there are high quality skin treatments that can reverse uh, some of 
the sun damage, but there's some real good lasers. Um, and by the time you're 50, it's going to be even better. Like That's what my, the options my mom had at 50, like I can remember my mom got like probably the first ever filler. My mm. mom d- is not like me. Like she's the most natural person. She basically never wore makeup, doesn't dye her hair, never did really anything. But I'm sure she had a moment, you know, in her when she was 50 and like, I want to try something. Mm-hmm. And she got like early days filler. So this is 25 years ago. And I can't imagine. Her, her injected right into wrinkles and she was swollen. Like it, it was, she had a terrible, it was horrible. So we've come a long way, baby. And that's a beautiful thing. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Amazing. Okay. Cool. Do you okay, have... so, oh. yeah. Sorry. That was the, uh, standard question. It was, I was bulldozing. Yeah, you were. Uh, we're always finding out who's going to talk next. Um, do you have any helpful book or podcast recommendations that you think people would benefit from besides your own book, which you'll plug at the end? Well, okay, if you're... Like it's my vintage that I'd be talking to, which maybe isn't your audience, but so this might not at all be relevant. All the things I'm going to plug now are probably totally irrelevant to your people, but they can tell, you know, their moms about it. (laughs) But uh, I just uh, started on a podcast called Hit Play, Not Pause. And it is um, this super fit athletic woman who's going through like menopause, she's in perimenopause and she has women on talking about aging. And uh, like, I am, okay, I say I'm passionate about blah way too often, but I am so passionate about um, my approach to aging, which is I'm not going to choose to be limited. Like we're all limited, mm-hmm. but but I think a lot of us like decide to be more limited. Like I'm I'm not going to give up or limit myself before my body decides to limit me. Uh, on any aspect of, of life. And, Mm -hmm. um, and this woman has this incredible podcast and has people on who, you know, older women who are doing effing amazing things like that. We need, I I just, I want to expose myself to more of that. Mm -hmm. Like I want, I want my daughters to be exposed to more of that. Like this is aging baby. And it's awesome. Um, I also love, um, there's one, it's called solvable. And so the world is, can be a dark place. Like, I mean, you can see lots of love and light and there's lots of darkness. And this podcast called solvable talks about the big problems and the people like they talk, they take some massive problem. Okay. That we Mm. all think we can never deal with this. This is terrible. And, um, highlights people who are working on solving these problems oh, and i just find this so well it's technically so interesting the, the topics are vast <laughs> yeah like so so cool um sorry i could go on you can edit me down feel free to edit <laughs> out, out of this. but um malcolm gladwell also has a podcast i'm sure like everyone knows his yeah. podcast but i love it um books okay I'm, I just got Living Untethered. I don't even I've know if this is new. I recommend yeah. that before. So The Untethered Soul is an amazing book um, written by Michael Singer. You know, talking about like the parting of the mist, you know, in my mind, the way I think about myself now versus myself at 24. Mm-hmm. That book, like there are certain things you read or hear and you just think, well, I feel like that might be true, but I don't really get it. Like it mm-hmm. just seems like a bit out of reach. It's a bit in the mist, right? 
Um, but The Untethered Soul and Now Living Untethered. We need you to plug your book. And we also need you to plug where people can find you on TikTok and get more of your wonderful advice. Oh my gosh. Like, what is my TikTok? Is it Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> God, right? I think it's your I'm, name. Right? I think it's your first name underscore your last name, but you might need to spell it out for the fans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Should I just go quickly check that? So if you search Kelly underscore L, it'll probably come up if you don't know how to spell the valley because you're just so popular and so famous. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Show right up on that search bar. <laughs> you could be the one that puts me over 200,000. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> do your kids know that you're like famous on TikTok? They, oh yeah. Do they think it's cool course. or do they think mom's just doing her thing talking to... You know what? It's one of like my claims to fame that they're proud of me. Like what, what 13 year old is proud of their mom on TikTok? I mean, yeah. I, I'm so, I just am very honored by their support. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then you also have your well, book. That's so special. Yes. Yeah. So my book is called Untying the Knot, Protecting Your Emotional and Financial Health During Divorce. Again, your people can hand it off to their parents. Yeah. Pass it off <laughs> to your parents and uncle. But it's uh, <laughs> like, it is a, a, a loving, what I hope to be a loving, easy, supportive read that makes the crap pile of divorce a little easier, okay? And gives people just like a really simple roadmap on the financial front and some ideas to, to like managing their thoughts and feelings through the process as they work through like one of the biggest business deals of their life probably, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're interested in buying the book, it's not like all online retailers, but you can go to my website, which is kellylavalley.com. Um, and there's links to buy the book there. And, and you can find me on TikTok where I talk about everything under the sun, basically answer everything, mm -hmm. health, <laughs> fitness, all the relationships yeah. that we just covered, didn't even touch yeah. on health and fitness. All, the, all the ones that matter in life, the parent ones, the child ones, the romantic, the friendships, we yeah. really dabbled in them all yeah, today, we did, did we you did. not? We so exciting. Um, and yeah. next time we'll hit health and fitness because I have a bunch of questions about that too. <laughs> totally. I'd love to. I'd love to be back. You guys are super amazing. All right. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for joining us. We I've learned a lot. I'm taking notes. I hope everyone listening <laughs> to this one has their pen and paper out. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time and for being so vulnerable and open, not just with us, but on TikTok. I think your impact is more than you know. And lots of mm -hmm. people our age and across all spans of life are listening to you and are appreciative of your insight. So thank you. I'm honored. You're going to make me cry. And that is an unusual thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. all right everyone go tear it up have a good weekend